Hi. So just, um, Dave's going to come and, and speak. I just want to quickly speak a blessing on him on behalf of us all. So um, let's just pray for Dave. Father, thank you for Dave. Thank you for his heart, his heart that longs after you and longs to serve us. And so we speak your blessing over him in these moments. We ask that what you have put on his heart, he is able to share with us and we are able to hear it. So keep our hearts soft, our ears open, and come and have your way amongst us. Amen. 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 Thanks, Steph. Brilliant. Um, yeah, so when you were growing up as a kid, um, you told all sorts of things that you, when you grew up you realize aren't true. Hands up if anyone's ever told you that if you cross your eyes for long enough, They'll stay that way forever. <laughs> you hear that one? Or if you looked at the TV too long, your eyes will turn square. You heard that one? Um, or maybe if you eat too many sweets, you'll turn into one. Um, let's see what else. If you eat a lot of carrots, you can see in the dark. Um, this was a good one. I love this. That the floor could turn to lava at any point, and the only safe place is the sofa. <laughs> um, Maybe some of you were told that your teachers sleep in their classroom at night. They don't go home ever. I don't know if that was something that anyone was taught believing growing up. Or that there's a person inside the ATM pushing the money out the hole when you go. I've heard someone that believed that. Um, what about you know, if the ice cream truck is making noise, it's playing music, it means it's all out of ice cream. Anyone? Thanks, Mom, for that. <laughs> um, here's another one I read online. If you swallow chewing gum, it'll stay in your body for seven years. You ever hear that? It's really not true. I googled it, and you know that Google is completely true all the time. It stays in your body for not even a month, I don't think, maybe less than a week. Um, here's another one that adults have the word figured out. <laughs> Who thought that when they were growing up? I don't know about you, but we all have these kind of things that we are taught or believed or kind of take in when we're growing up. And for me, as a young child growing up in our country here in Northern Ireland, um, I came to have some of those beliefs around what it meant to be a Christian. So to be a Christian, I had come to believe meant that we needed to pray to God to be saved, to go so that when we die, we go to heaven, a place, a magical place in the sky. That was what I was told. And I guess the thing about um, things that you learn growing up is that they're not always completely true, but there's, sometimes there's half-truths as well, isn't there? Sometimes there's, there's elements of truth in that. So the story I was taught was that to follow Jesus is all about the afterlife. It's all about like a kind of an insurance policy for the afterlife, basically. If you boiled it all down, really, it was like there was kind of a Willy Wonka in the sky, and we were going to get a, you get a golden ticket if you pray the right prayer, if you come to the altar call. And actually, it's quite a wise investment just to get that prayer in, you know. Uh, live your life whatever way you want, but just make sure you've prayed the sinner's prayer. So the story around that really is that, that God made this world that we screwed it up. Um, that there's a sin problem that Jesus has really come to solve that sin problem so we could go to the magical place in the sky. And I know that I'm painting a caricature there, but you didn't even have to be brought up in the church to hear that story in our country in Northern Ireland. You could have been driving down the street and seen this on the side of Gable. In fact, you still can see it on the side of Gable Walls. I lived in County Down, and you'd be driving the wee, you'll know this for us, driving the wee roads around Nards and Bangor, and there's always these wee signs on the trees, you know, little verses from Scripture. Um, or you could be walking into the city centre of Belfast, and you could hear what I've talked about here before is the street preachers. 
you know, in the 70s and the 80s and 90s, you would hear a guy, and it was always a guy, it was never a, a girl, it was always a guy with a, with a kind of a bullhorn megaphone um, telling that story um, about the afterlife and calling it truth. Um, and it, it seemed like good news, but the people telling it often were quite angry, so it's kind of do with, do with, do with that what you will. As I got older, I got confused because my eyes didn't turn square when I watched lots of TV. Um, but also, uh, I understood that God loved the world. Um, and the street preachers seemed to be telling a story that seemed quite small. God loved the whole world, but the story seemed quite small. It seemed like only a select group of people would kind of get into the story. And what about the rest of the world was my question. What about all the people God loves? Additionally, the story didn't really sound like good news. It kind of sounded more like a maths equation. You know, that God had calculated how to remove sin and kind of involve in Jesus to basically make us pure so we could go to the pure place in the sky with all the pure people. And it just felt kind of small and limited and kind of claustrophobic. And I mean, the street preachers story, it didn't seem to have much else good to say about this world now, or maybe about your energy bill that came in this week, or about your marriage, or about your kids, or whatever. It didn't really have much to say about any of that here and now, the life that we're all living. It was obsessed with saving souls and taking us to the kind of, the nirvana-like heaven. Evacuation theology, I call that. And it's actually quite pervasive. It's it's everywhere, particularly in Western evangelicalism. And there's elements of truth in it, but really it's skewed. Very little was said about this world here and now, about this earth. In fact, this earth is always talked about as nearly being disposable. We're going to go somewhere else, so this will just kind of go up in flames in the end. What did the God, what did, what did the God story have to say about, I don't know, poverty? or injustice, or diseases, or global pandemics, or what did it have to say about violence, or countries at war, or politics, or race relations? Did it have anything to say about our bodies, or our sexuality, our livelihoods, our relationships, our environment, our world? I mean, where was the peace that Jesus promised in all of that, and where was the big vision, where was the good news? I mean, the other thing that contributed to me uh, questioning the story that I was told was that I started reading the Bible. <laughs> it's quite dangerous when you start reading the Bible. Um, it turns out Jesus has an awful lot to say about all those things I just listed. It, it turns out that when you look at the Gospels in the Bible more closely, you begin to see that Jesus talked a lot about life beginning now. This life that we're living here and now. He didn't really talk so much about leaving earth to go to heaven, more about heaven coming to earth. You know that prayer, the Our Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer. So over and over and over in the Bible, you read of Jesus preaching this thing called the kingdom of God. And the kingdom of God seems to be more interested, it seems to be less interested in getting us into heaven and more interested in getting a little bit of heaven into us. And it's flipped. And you see in Matthew 4, you know, Jesus begins to preach, repent 
for the kingdom of heaven is near. The word that we get gospel from is the word evangelion or euangelion. I'm pronouncing that wrong. And it means literally good news. Good, good news, a, a good announcement. It's actually essentially a military word. Um, and it was used to announce when a new king was establishing his victory or his reign over a new town or city or place. Isaiah 61, 1 to 3, it'll come up on the screen. Let me read this to you. This is what Isaiah 61 prophesied before the time of Jesus. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings to the meek, good news. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable Lord of the year and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. And that's a, prof a prophecy there that's speaking of the coming of a kingdom and a king. It's speaking of a person that's going to usher in some kind of new way of being human, essentially, a new way of organizing life. And it was really speaking of Jesus. And Jesus, when he comes to grow up in uh, first century Palestine, um, he grows up and he begins to step into the mission of God. And in Luke chapter 4, it talks about um, him going to his hometown of Nazareth, to the synagogue, and he repeats that passage. He takes the scroll and reads that out as a proclamation of the euangelion, the good news he said, I'll just read that passage, it'll be on the screen as well. It said, Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit. Last week we talked about being a Spirit-filled church. The power of the Spirit. Jesus, filled with the Spirit, went into Galilee and news about him spread throughout the whole countryside. And he was teaching in their synagogues and everyone praised him. And he went to Nazareth where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went to the synagogue and as was his custom, he stood up to read and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so that his dynamite. That's a prophetic statement that of the essentially of the work of the mission that Jesus was called to. It turns out that he was about much more than evacuating uh, Christians to another magical place. It was kind of much more to this thing than perhaps first we might have thought growing up. As I was reading the Bible, that's what was coming to my knowledge more and more. And the thing is about that passage, if you read it on, Jesus has run out of time after he does that. He upsets the people listening. Why is that? Why was he running out of time? Well, the thing is, this vision, this announcement is like a wholesale revolution. Um, you know, the word euangelion, good news, it was code for your king has come. Jesus was essentially announcing that he was that person that was prophesied about in Isaiah he was this new king. It was a royal announcement about kingship and this revolutionary language 
implied uh, an invitation to allegiance. Allegiance, to give allegiance to a new king. Of course, there's never a new kingdom, the kingdom of God. There's never a new kingdom without a king. Every kingdom has a king. And so to pledge allegiance to a new king meant or means essentially embodying the culture of that rule of that king. And we see that in Paul's letters. The apostle Paul, he wanted the churches that he was writing to to not just believe the gospel, but to become it, to live it out, to embody it. Not just to embody these beliefs in our heads, to think about these beliefs in our heads, but to embody it in very in the very life that we live and in so doing we would be participating in the good news we're participating in that work that jesus started ourselves if we did that scott mcknight he in his book the jesus the, the king jesus gospel he challenges um the story i told at the start the street preacher's story as a reductionist a very reductionistic understanding of of what the gospel is the evacuation theology and he says that in a simple terms, our focus has been on Jesus as my Savior rather than Jesus as my Lord. This idea of Jesus as Lord, as Messiah, as the fulfillment of the, the God story, the subject of the whole story is so much bigger than just your personal salvation or my personal salvation. It's a cosmic story his life, death, and resurrection has universal cosmic ramifications because he's the very center of God's plan and we're caught up in that. Salvation may have visited your home, but it's more than just a personal, individualistic salvation. There's something about being invited into the story of the gospel of the kingdom of God and all that the kingdom is about. And that is, as I've said, it's not a privatized or individual salvation. It's the redemption and the restoration of all things. Quite grand, big language. That is the picture at the end of Revelation. The renewal of all things. We've been singing about that already today. Your kingdom come, your will be done. And the restoration of the cosmos. Basically, in short, Redeemer, the story of God in the world has everything to do with everything. Everything to do with everything. There's no such thing as sacred and secular. Everything is the Lord's. This world is the Lord's kingdom. This is his temple. He dwells here. He's with us this morning. He fills us, but he doesn't just fill us individually. He fills us as a people. He fills this very creation with his presence. And so this is a very different gospel than the one that I kind of grew up understanding alongside, you know, swallowing chewing gum <laughs> and it's sitting in my system for seven years. And so when you grow up and by the grace of God through the Spirit and some learning and some patience, you begin to see that there's more to this thing. And I'm sure you've experienced that yourself too, whether you've been brought up in church or not. There's kind of more to this God thing. There's more to this gospel than I maybe first imagined. The gospel as I come to see it, as Jesus proclaimed it, as Isaiah prophesied, is a gospel of shalom, a gospel of peace. That's basically a word that means everything in the world made right. Everything wrong, everything wrong made right 
everything broken healed, everything restless returned to peace, everything lost reconciled. I forgot to bring uh, an item that I had today to show you, but it should come up on the screen. And I've talked about this before, Redeemer, so forgive me, but I do think it is a really strong metaphor for this picture, and it's a kintsugi bowl. Um, that's actually a, my kintsugi bowl that a friend gave me during lockdown. This friend's a minister. And it's continued just to speak to me. It sits on my desk. It was sitting on my desk beside my laptop as I was preparing for today. And it, it's a picture of what I've just been talking about. The Japanese don't believe in throwing things away when they're broken. And when something is broken, it can be restored. And the end result is even more beautiful and unique than the original. Here we have a bowl which has been broken. And then it has been carefully, gently, tenderly, with a lot of craft and patience, put back together with some gold leaf. And if I was to flip it, you would see the pattern on it. It is a beautiful piece, once broken, now restored and healed. And it's a picture today, I believe, of what Jesus was talking about when he said the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him to bring freedom to the captives. It's a picture today of what God wants to do with you and your brokenness and your life the lostness that you're experiencing, the alienation that you've come to find yourself in, the hurt that maybe is weighing heavy on you today. He wants to replace that heaviness with a garment of praise. He wants to give you the, the oil of his presence, the joy restored to your soul. Shalom is about when everything is as it should be, everything healed, everything mended, everything in harmony. And I think that's a good story. If you want to kind of know more about that expanded, you know, Stephanie and I preached through a series called The Very Good Gospel last summer, and it's still on our podcast and online. You can listen through that because we kind of flesh it out in different ways and what it means to different parts of our lives. I think that that is a beautiful, good news story, that God is about redeeming all of creation. And that in includes your story and your family and your friends and your business. It includes all of our lives. We're not being whisked off to a disembodied heaven. God's really interested in the here and in the now. What is the kingdom of God? It's like the politics of Jesus. It's an ethic. It's a way. God has things to say about what it means for us to be human, what it means to be whole, what it means to be fully human. He has created us and he invites us, in fact, is at work in us to make us as whole as we can be, to be like Christ, to be whole as human beings, both at an individual level and even at a systemic level that our families would be whole, that our churches would be whole, that our communities would be whole, that our businesses would be whole. It's a compelling vision of God putting the world to rights, healing it, restoring it to its intended state of being. A place where God will rule over all, 
where all sickness and disease will be gone, where all tears will be washed away. This is God's arrangement for human society, his politics, his way of inviting us into a way of being human, being to flourish in our humanity, created in the image of God, and at peace with ourselves, with God, with one another, and with creation. So far, we've looked at being a, a Jesus-centered church um, in this series that we're in, exploring these values that shape us as a community. We've looked at being a Jesus-centered church, which means that we believe that Jesus shows, shows us what God is like, that he's the lens through which we understand God. And our job is to look to Jesus, to fix on him, and in that, we can orbit around him in all of our diversity. We can find unity. We've looked at being this ancient future church, which is just language for locating ourselves in this big story and the wisdom that comes from the Jesus way. Ancient paths will lead us into the future. Ancient paths will lead us home. Stephanie helped us understand what it means to be church's family, what it means to be doing communal life together what it means to be brothers and sisters, what it means to be siblings in a new family, what it means to step up and provide an alternative way of helping those in need, what it means to hear and experience God through one another. You remember the voice note that was played, what it means to love one another, to be generous, to be welcoming. And last week, we spoke about being a spirit-filled church, a people that are called to be mystics, people that have experienced actually experienced God. We've not just thought about God or think about God. We've had our hearts strangely warmed by his love. We've been called into his goodness. We've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. We've seen that he's filling all things, including us, including his creation with his presence, and that he invites us to experience that everyday divine life in the spirit, in the dramatic and in the ordinary. And today... We're considering what it means for us to be a kingdom-oriented church, to be a kingdom-oriented church, to be a church that doesn't just hold some kind of evacuation theology in all of its reductionistic way, but has a holistic vision informed by the Lord about how we can be fully human, how we can live alongside one another, and how that can impact our world. It turns out the gospel of the kingdom is indeed good news. It's not as small or as limited as you might have thought, and we're, we're invited to participate in it. So to be the church that is kingdom-oriented means that we get to continually live out and continue the work and the mission that Jesus began. What Jesus described is the renewal of all things, and that starts now. Starts now, living a, a countercultural way of being in the world. You all know that I'm such a, a fan of the author and pastor Brian Zand, and I just love his quote. I have to get one quote in every time, Ruth. <laughs> and this is what he says What does the kingdom of God look like? This is his quote. It should come up on the screen. Yep. It looks like Jesus. It looks like the sick being healed, the poor being fed, the demonized being delivered and the dead being raised. It looks like outsiders given a seat at the table and hypocritical gatekeepers giving their comeuppance. It looks like forgiveness for sinners and a feast for all. 
if you can embrace the newness, it looks like a party where water turns to wine. If you resist the newness, it looks like judgment day where the whip comes down and the tables are flipped. As Origen of Alexandria said, Jesus is the kingdom in person. So if it doesn't look like Jesus, it's not the kingdom of God. And if it's not the kingdom of God, we must never pledge our ultimate allegiance to it. News today, Redeemer, we place our allegiance in King Jesus and his kingdom and nothing else. It's the kingdom that is compelling us in his way of making things shalom as they should be, a world put right, a kingdom that cannot be shaken, the scriptures said, a place where righteousness and justice rolls like a mighty river. Such beautiful poetic language. A kingdom where the last are first and the first are last. Where the poor and the marginalized are liberated, actually. Where the economy is turned upside down and we find joy not in receiving but in giving. Where we're called to the radical practice of enemy love to turn the other cheek, which is so difficult, but we're called to it. Where faith as small as a mustard seed can topple an empire. Where in a world where there's no Jew, nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, where those distinctions are dissolved in the presence of God. A world of goodness, of peace, of justice, where nations are humbled around the throne of Jesus, not warring against one another, and where the lion and the lamb lie together. Is that image again, poetic image? The kingdom of God is also here, right now, in this room, in the cry of a baby. If we have eyes to see it, it's a place where the poor are blessed, not the rich, where the brokenhearted are comforted. It's a place where the meek get their share. It's a place where those who hunger for justice are satisfied, like fully satisfied. It's a place where mercy, mercy triumphs over judgment. Could we be a community that is a merciful community where there is no judgment? There is just grace and mercy. The kingdom of God is where the pure-hearted see what the cynical will never see. God is with us here and now. It's where children of God are making peace, undoing the works of the enemy. It's where Jesus' way is replacing the way of empire, building and putting ourselves first. And at Easter, we have a story that we proclaim it's an announcement, a revolutionary announcement every Easter that we Christians do, if you don't realize that Jesus didn't rise from the dead and that's, but he is the risen king of a new kingdom and the new kingdom has begun. We're just getting caught up in it. The rule and reign of God has become and a spirit-filled church is a church that is participating in that project here and now. It is a family of strangers that are learning to be brothers and sisters together for the sake of the world around them. A world that has systems that seek to divide 
and define us and exploit us, commodify us, soak every last inch of productivity out of us and leave us on the side. The world and its system is diminishment. The kingdom of God is abundance where the feast never runs out, where every person is made in the image of God, is affirmed in that image, and is cherished and loved by a loving creator. The world tarnishes that image of God in us. It fractures that beauty. It tries to define us, judge us, label us. But in the midst of that old broken creation, in the midst of that unjust systems of division and oppression, there's a light that is shining. The light of Christ shines. The kingdom of God breaks in and is breaking in and it breaks in through small and ordinary communities like this and the dozens across this city and this land and the hundreds and thousands across this UK and Ireland and the millions across this world where people have come into, they've had a compelling vision of this kingdom and are giving their lives to it. N.T. Wright says this, that Jesus' resurrection is the beginning of God's new project, not to snatch people away from earth, but to bring, to colonize earth with the life of heaven. That is, after all, what the Lord's prayer is about. And here's some things that I think it means for us, Redeemer, to be a kingdom-oriented church. I think it means that we are called to the common good, to love our city, to pursue justice, and to pursue beauty. I'm going to spell it out now, I suppose. Jeremiah 29 says this, Seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. And so to be a kingdom-oriented community means that we love Belfast that we love Northern Ireland, that we love Ireland, that we love the place that we are called to be and we seek its prosperity, its welfare, its good. We participate in where, where we can see flourishing happening. We participate in it and give our yes and amen to it. We don't pull away from it, but we engage with it. We build houses and live in them. We plant gardens and plant trees we eat their produce, and we seek the welfare of the city. We're called to love the spaces and the places that God has placed us. That includes for you, the place you work. The family that you're in is where God has called you to be a light, to bring forth his kingdom. The workplace that you're in is a place that he's called you to bring forth his kingdom. The, the cul-de-sac or the village or the town you live is a place where God's called you to be and bring forth his kingdom. Another passage from Matthew 5, another idea of this kingdom is salt, you're salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? Verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. So there's a salt and light imagery, the salt reminiscent of the idea that where people embedded in the community. We're embedded in as good residents. We're part of this city. We're in it. And we're pursuing its welfare, as I've been talking about. And then they have this imagery of the light and the city on a hill, which is kind of a remnant of, or as reminiscent of, a, of being set apart to, having a, having a story, having a prophetic word 
in the midst of the ordinary, have a, having a word of hope, having a word of encouragement, having a word of vision, having a word about a different way of being human, a different economy to be a part of. We're the first or last, and the last or first. So we're to be a part of our city and love it, but we're called to pursue the prophetic work of Jesus, which is to bring forth his kingdom, a different way of being human in the world. If we believe in the end, in that vision in Revelation, where everything is as it should be, shalom, all things renewed, then to be a kingdom-oriented church now means that we pursue with every opportunity justice. With every opportunity, we pursue positive, creative, healing, and restorative justice. And we so, there's so much that we can be doing. It's overwhelming in this world of injustice. We can get down so much about what needs to be done, but we're called to a particular place in a particular time to do particular things. And so the kingdom-oriented church is a church that has a ministry called Farmbox that helps those in poverty with food every week. And how much more could that grow if we can, are compelled by this vision? Could that expand in this next year? A kingdom-oriented church is a church that has taken seriously the call to welcome the stranger, like Dan and others have been doing, Ruth and others, opening our doors to people who don't have a place to be. Several times a week at the moment, there are asylum seekers in this building, and that's a beautiful thing. And I'm, we're not, I'm not patting us on the back for that necessarily, because there's so much more. But that is in alignment with the kingdom, that there's people that can find refuge and safety here, friendship groups, women's collective. Every room in this building is filled every Tuesday. That's beautiful, and there's more that we can lean into. A kingdom-oriented church is a community that thinks about a parents and thoughts group with, that is outward-focused, a place where parents and kids can find safety to come in the city, in the city. And that's what Ruth and Chloe and others are developing at the moment. It's a place where we can learn to be, to practice hospitality, to open our homes and open our tables, to embrace those that society rejects. When I look around this community, I see people who've taken into their homes strangers from other lands that have fled because of war. I see people in this community that have started farms that seek the well-being of our community places of welcome. I see people in this community that are adopting and fostering children that don't have a place called home. And I also see so much more that the Lord wants to invite into us. Maybe the Lord's speaking to you today. A kingdom-oriented church is one that names and shames the injustices and works for their abolishment. And we must take that so seriously to live out the way of Jesus where injustice is rooted up where God's kingdom of putting things right is installed is made known and finally what about beauty I've talked about this before common good living in the city justice beauty is another that I think is really important so the creatives in this room you're called to make this world beautiful in all of its ugliness, where it has been spoiled with the ugliness of power and power grabs. Artists and musicians are called to paint a picture of a new way, 
to use their creative gifts to bring beauty, to celebrate the arts, music, drama, poetry. If the world colludes with ugliness, we're not understanding the beauty of the kingdom of God. And so there's a call for us to pursue beauty, to practice beauty, to bring into being creation, creative things that call us to a world beyond what we can see now. There's a mandate for all of us if we have our yes and we give our yes to King Jesus, if we pledge our allegiance to King Jesus. Some of you in this room can do some of those things. Some of you can't do any of those things, but you have some money you could give to do those things. Some of you have gifts of encouragement where you could encourage others to keep going as they seek the kingdom. There's so much that the Lord wants to invite us into as brothers and sisters to live out this good way, which says that this world is beautiful. It is not to be evacuated. It is to be occupied and filled with the presence of God. With that, I have an eye on the clock and I need to come to an end. So I'm going to invite you to stand as we come to the table for one moment. And I'm going to invite up the band. I'm going to invite up some friends of mine that are going to help serve communion today. Austin and Allison and Johnny and Lauren are going to help uh, me serve communion today. Um, so two on each side, guys, you can kind of pick your side and work away. And um, we're going to come to this table, as Stephanie's already been talking about today. We're a community that practice an open table, which means that if you want to be at this table, you can be at this table. This is the table of Jesus. It's a table of bread and of wine. It's a table that represents what our King has done for us, our King Jesus, his grace and his mercy. And it's a table that represents the feast of the kingdom. It's a foretaste of grace, of that kingdom of God that we will come into one day where all things are well. And so I want to encourage you to come. We've been practicing through the last two years, a click and collect. We're not doing that anymore. <laughs> At least not this morning. I want you to come and I want you to receive the elements from uh, these friends and they will, they will give the bread and the wine or juice to you, the gluten-free bread. There's juice available. And you can take that here on the spot. Don't wait to go back to your table. Just take that as you receive it. And I want to encourage us today, Redeemer, that by the power of the Spirit, that we would respond to what the Spirit might be calling us to, to be a kingdom-oriented community that we could respond to what the Lord is calling us. Maybe that's allegiance to King Jesus today. Maybe, maybe that is where he's calling you to today, to give your allegiance to him over, over other things that have occupied that space. Or perhaps today you've just been so compelled by this beautiful gospel of the kingdom, you just want to say yes, Lord, to whatever he would do in your life. Or maybe you feel convicted about some things and there's just grace and mercy here for you to come and taste and receive that again and a fresh start again. There's an image at the end of Revelation of that tree of life in the city of Zion where all the nations, peoples, and tribes are gathered around, blessing the name of Jesus, where everything that was broken, like that kintsugi bowl, has been made whole. And I just want to proclaim that over you today. If you come to the table with brokenness today, with hurt today, with heaviness today, the Lord wants to exchange that here at this table for a garment of praise, 
He wants to exchange those ashes for beauty. He wants to fill you with his spirit and his joy and his grace. So as we sing, don't hesitate to come. Just come forward. We can queue. We can come around this way. Come around this way, yes. But come, please do come. Bring your friends, bring your families. Come forward. Let's celebrate the king and his kingdom. Let's respond as people awake to him today. Uh, in Jesus' name, yeah, what do you mean?